Um, good morning. Welcome to Oak Ridge Community Church. My name is Dave Ferguson. I'm one of the pastors here in Oak Ridge. We're certainly glad. glad it's good to see you. Um, if you are joining us online through the streaming, hello. Good to see you guys as well. If you're, if, you're, uh, if you're chiming in later on, checking out our sermon archive, you are also very welcome. We're glad you could worship with us. We're glad you can sh- pray with us, sing with us, and share the Word of God with us. You know, it's not very often that we get a chance to be in a, a worship service on the actual 4th of July. So um, usually there's a parade or something like that, which we're not participating in this year. But this year we are in Sunday service on the 4th of July, and it is our nation's birthday. Who knows how old the United States of America is? 245, that is correct. That is correct. A couple of years ago, um, my, uh, my dear father-in-law, Tom Bois, who's sitting right here with us today, several years ago, five years ago, in fact, he had his 80th birthday, and it was the 240th birthday of the United States. I said, Tom, do you realize you're one-third as old as our nation? And it was an interesting point of trivia. I'm not sure if he appreciated that, that aspect being pointed out. So what, what we're going to do this morning is, since this is the 4th of July, and since we're not able to walk in the parade, we are going to take a few minutes to pray for our nation this morning. And we're going to break down into groups of two or three. Try not to make it very big groups, because I want everyone to have a chance to share and pray if they'd like to. And if if there's something on your heart that you want to pray for, for our nation, by all means, pray. But if if you're not quite sure where to start, we'll use the ACTS model, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. And I encourage you to move quickly, popcorn prayers, which means each person just prays briefly and lets the other people pray if they want to. And in several minutes, three, I'll give us a time to do this because we're actually going to move and sit closer to one another or turn to one another. And then I will close us in prayer and we'll continue with our service. So go ahead, if you would, just find someone that's close to you, two or three people at a time. And then you can, uh, you can pray whatever's on your heart. And, or feel free to, you, I'll leave these um, suggestions up on the screen for you if you'd like to. Father, it is good, it is appropriate for us to come before you. And uh, Lord, I, I, uh, I, we praise your name. We acknowledge who you are, Father. We are so grateful that you brought us together to worship this morning. We're grateful that you've allowed us to live in this nation. It's appropriate, Lord, for us, for me as an individual, to come before you and confess my shortcomings. It's appropriate for us as a, as a body to come before you and confess our shortcomings. It's appropriate for us as a nation to come before you and confess our shortcomings, Lord. And there are many, Lord, for me as a person, for us as families, for us as a church body, for us as a nation, there are many things, Lord, that you teach us throughout the years, God. And I thank you that you put us in a nation that has a teachable heart. God, I thank you for um, the blessings you've bestowed on us. I thank you for the correction that you've bestowed on us. And I thank you for the heart of response that you put in our nation to respond to the things that you want us to do better. Lord, we, we love you. We fear you. We desire to be closer to you, God. Father, I do pray for our nation. I pray for your love, I pray for your blessing, I pray for your peace, I pray for your wisdom, Lord. Please bless our leaders, God. 
men and women who have responsibility, have taken oaths before you, God, I pray that you would indeed intervene in their lives, God. Teach them to fear you. Teach them to respect their oaths of office. Teach them to work for the good of our nation, God. As a people, if there's things we need to do differently, Father, bring it to our mind. And I pray that through your spirit and through your word and through a spirit of love and grace and humility, God, that you would teach us what it means to repent well and then to walk forward with love and unity and peace. We do pray, Lord, that you would continue to heal our country in terms of the the devastation of the, of the pandemic, heal our people, God. Heal the people. The entire world needs healing, God. We ask for your intervention. Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We are so grateful that you put us in a nation that is unprecedented in its freedom, in its blessing, in its prosperity, in its, uh, its opportunity for people here and from all over the world, God. Thank you. Lord, use the freedom and the blessing. Help us to be mindful to use the freedom and the blessing that you've given us, Lord, as an opportunity for your gospel and to proclaim your name, God, not to consume our freedoms and our material things upon our own lusts and our own flesh, God, not to consume, but, Lord, to worship and to give and to bless and to serve We commit these things to you, Lord. We praise your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for thank you for doing that. I encourage you throughout the day today, if you're with if you're with family or friends or something like that, if you have a chance to celebrate or be with people, I encourage you to have these conversations and pray and reflect deeply on what the Lord has done in our nation. So I'm going to take advantage of the freedom that we have to worship God, and we're going to continue in our sermon series called Go, and talk with a little example here. So question for you guys here. Who here likes to fish? Quick show of hands. A couple of hands popping up. Most of the people here like to fish. So peace and quiet, passion for the outdoors, excitement of the catch. Why do you love it? Anyone just shout out something. Why do you love it? Because it's awesome. Because it's awesome. What else? Family time. That's great. That's awesome. Well, you know what? I hate fishing. (laughs) It takes a long time. I can't control the outcome. And if I have free time, I'd rather read something interesting like this dude is doing. But Pastor Dave, you say, Jesus said... Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Okay, well, if you're going to get all quoting Jesus on me, then I guess we'll continue our series here in discipleship. But let's be honest. Sometimes if I start talking about fishing for men, it can cause a little bit of anxiety. What do you want me to do? How much time is it going to take? Am I going to have to actually talk to somebody? It It can be a difficult thing. It can be an intimidating thing. So, in, in my mind, simply put, fishing for men, Jesus said, fish 
follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. It's a very early command that he gave. It's a very basic command that he gave. It fits in with our message series very neatly and nicely, and it's the foundation. Fishing for men means to proclaim the gospel and encourage other people to follow him. It's a clear command, but the outcome is clearly not under our control, is it? If you share with someone whether something profound or something simple, you don't know how that conversation is going to end, and it's not under your control. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to examine the foundation of discipleship in our, in our own hearts. We're going to consider a tool to help us focus our attention when we're discipling and sharing with people. And we're going to suggest a couple of metrics for success. What does successful discipleship look like? So that's a lot of ground to cover. So let's go ahead and get started. So fishing for men and women is discipleship. Fishing for men and women is discipleship. Jesus said, when Jesus said, go and make disciples, he said, go, make disciples. As you go, make disciples. He wasn't thinking that we would have weekly coffees with fellow believers in a convenient spot, and that's discipleship where we're sharing the word with one another, praying with one another, although that's an awesome thing. He wasn't, he wasn't thinking that we'd have, a, we'd have a Bible study or a Sunday school series where we do a 15-part series on the book of Isaiah, which is also an awesome thing to do, a 15-part study on the book of Isaiah. These are more along the lines of imparting knowledge or building fellowship, and these are good things, but they are not the complete definition of what it means to be a to disciple. Jesus was commanding us to proclaim his kingdom his messiahship, and to call people to faith and obedience in him. Let me say that again. When Jesus wants us, telling us to fish for men, to be fishers of men and women, he was commanding us to proclaim his kingdom, proclaim his messiahship, that he was the messiah, is the messiah, and call people to faith and obedience. This is what it means to fish for men, and this is what it means to have the complete picture of what being a discipling people. We acknowledge, we've covered earlier in this series, we acknowledge that God's plan from the very beginning is to extend his kingdom to all mankind. He made that promise to the Old Testament patriarchs and prophets. He confirmed it in Jesus. It's a big mission. And I just thank goodness that that mission is not entirely on us. The good news is the foundation of us being fruitful, for us bearing fruit, and for us discipling other people, is us abiding in Him. So I want to start with this. I'm going to start with this conversation of abiding, because sometimes you can maybe, if you think about, like for me, when I'm thinking about fishing, or if you're if you thinking about what it means to be a fisherman, if it produces any anxiety or whatever, disappointment. It's like, it's like, well, it's on me, right? I have to do this. This is a checklist of things I have to do. I have to read my Bible. I have to pray. I have to open my mouth and talk to people I don't know. And it can come off as a very burdensome or legalistic thing. And that is the wrong emphasis. That's not where we need to start. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So what is abiding? It's remaining. It's resting. It's trusting. This is important because 
the effect of discipleship, the effect of you sharing with people, the effect of you loving and serving, influencing other people, that effect, you do something, that's for sure, but the, the final outcome is not on you. It's on the Holy Spirit acting in your life, it's on acting on the life of the people that you are talking to. Don't take unneeded pressure on yourself in this. Instead, learn what it means to rest in the Lord, seek Him, and allow Him to fill your heart with the love and the mercy you need to be effective in reaching other people. So we know, yet we, yet we know, okay, so we're, we're supposed to rest, right? We're supposed to abide and rest and remain. We know, but we, on the other hand, we know that abiding, it's not a passive thing, it's not passivity. Abiding, you don't just, or we, when we're saying to be a fisher of men or we're to share with other people, we should pray for them and we should rest in the Lord, but we should also do something too. So there's, there's a tension here. Abide, rest, remain. Jesus says, go, make, and sometimes we're also called to suffer. Last week, Pastor David challenged us to remember that our identity is that of forgiven ambassadors. And we see many historical examples of men and women throughout the history of the church that have suffered for the sake of the truth. So which is it? Abide, remain, and rest, or go, make, suffer? I think you know the answer. It's both. It's both. There's a tension there which I can't necessarily define for you. I just know if you, if you avoid the responsibility of being a fisher of men and women, then you're not abiding in the Lord. You're not serving the Lord. You're not fulfilling what He's called you to do as a believer. And yet if you take this responsibility on yourself and you feel burdened and guilty and driven by unhealthy means, you're going to burn out really quick. So there's a tension to manage there for each of us. What does it mean to rest? What does it mean to abide? What does it mean to trust? What does it mean to be fueled by His Word and His Spirit and to reach out and serve and love the people around us from grace and peace? The key to remember is that the Holy Spirit is the one that does the work. He does the work not only in my life, but He does the work in the lives of the people around us. If you're resting in Him and you're, do, and you're meditating on His Word, then your heart is going to be filled. You're going to be fueled, you're going to be motivated from the right reasons to go and do and make disciples and share with other people. The Holy Spirit does the work first in your heart, and then He's always working in the lives of the people around you too. So, if you're, if you're going through the day, you're driving or walking or sitting in your home or work or something like that, and you're communing with the Lord, He's working on you. Do you know what? He's doing that in the people around you as well. Now, some people know Him. Some people have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they actively seek Him and want Him, and they desire Him, and He's working actively in them. There's some people that may not have trusted Him yet. He's still working in their lives. And the fact that you're sitting next to them in an office, or the fact that you're standing next to them in a line, or you pull up next to them in a, in a, in a traffic, and there's, there's somebody standing on the side of the road asking for help, They're, he's working in their life as well, differently than how he's working in your life, but he's working in their life as well. So you respond to the Holy Spirit in your life, in your heart, 
And then you seek to cooperate with what the Holy Spirit is doing in the life of another person. To me, that sounds a lot easier than me trying to screw up the courage to have a tough conversation or feeling the burden to influence someone or convince someone to do something they don't want to do. I don't have to convince them to do something they don't want to do. I'm inviting them to listen to what God is already saying to them through His Spirit and through His Word and through the actions of love that I give to them. Here's here's a purposeful example. Here's an example that I can think of that's a good image. Psalm First Psalm, Psalm chapter 1, verse 3. It says, They'll be like trees planted along a riverbank, bearing fruit in their season. It's the same imagery as John chapter 15. A vine that's abiding. This tree is abiding. It says it's planted by the riverbank. It bears fruit in its season. How hard is that tree working right now? Doesn't look like it's working very hard at all. But answer this question. What stresses has that tree encountered in its long life? Probably quite a few. In my mind, this verse is a good picture of what it means to abide. What it means to abide, what it means to bear fruit, what it means to endure for the long run and be powered by the Lord. Be powered. He said, the, 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 the riverbank, Jesus said, there'll be streams of living water. He says, I am the living water, but those streams of water will come up through you. You don't have to force them out. You rest in Him, and they flow through you to the people around us. In some ways, this is simple for me to say, and not necessarily easy to do, but it's worthy for us to think about what this looks like in our life. So, discipling. It's not just imparting knowledge. It's becoming a fisher of men as you abide in Christ. It is accepting God's mission and your identity as you go through your life. In Jesus' own words, a key element of, of discipleship are baptizing those who believe. That's an important element. And teaching others to obey His commandments. So my question to you, my challenge to myself and for you is, are you willing to rest in Him? Usually if someone invites me to rest, it doesn't take a whole lot of persuasion. Dave, why don't you take a nap? It's like, you know what? That's an awesome, that's an awesome idea. I will take you up on that. Just feel free to close the door when you leave. He is inviting you to rest in him. He is, Jesus has given you a mission that sounds intimidating, but he's also said, it starts with you resting in me. So you answer that question first. Are you willing to rest in him? Are you willing to learn what it means to rest in Him? And then, are you willing to disciple as you go? And discipling as you go doesn't mean you have to read a chapter of the Bible to somebody. It can be a very simple thing to do. You share God's truth. You proclaim His his Messiahship. If they respond, you baptize, and you teach them to obey Him as well. It's a big topic. Obviously, it's a big topic. Books have been written about this. We can spend a lot of time talking about what this is. I want to offer one practical tool that we can use right now, right today, to kind of get the ball rolling on us. Um, If we are going to be a person that responds to the needs of those around us, if we're going to be someone that listens to the Holy Spirit and responds to what the whole, and is sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing in the lives of people around us, one simple thing that you can do is build an Oikos map. So I think we've mentioned that term before, Oikos map. Oikos is a Greek word. It means 
your world, our world. You each have a world. So the world is for the the world is the people that are around you. So I've started a simple one here on the on the screen. It's a circle, and it's got lines going out to other going out to other circles. For like I put I put me in there, but you can put your own name in there as well. So me I'm in the, I'm in the center of this map, and I can draw a line out to other people in my life. It can be friends, it can be family, it can be neighbors, it can be coworkers, it can be people you bump across casually out in, pub, in public. And now I have just generic terms of family, neighbors, co-workers, and friends, etc., but I'd encourage you put specific names on this map. And it doesn't mean if you put someone's name on there that you're going to go home today and you're going to call them up and say, hey, let me talk to you about Jesus for half an hour. That's not what it means. It means that you recognize that this person is in your life and they are in your sphere of influence and you want to start influencing them and you're going to be purposeful and how, you, and how you pray for them, and how you talk to them. Again, not that you're forcing anything, not that you're trying to persuade them of anything, or, or shove anything down their throat, but you love them, and you want to tell them about the amazing good news of Jesus Christ. So, start with a circle with your name in it, and draw it out to the different people in your family. I can think of family members, I can think of friends, I can think of co-workers, I'm sure you can think of neighbors that you know, people that you've lived next to, or maybe you just moved. Perfect time to get to know people. Maybe you live in the same spot like, like I have for 15 years, and you barely know your neighbors. Maybe there's an opportunity to, to improve that. Pray for them. Share with them. And then if they respond, as they respond, you can teach them to do the same exact thing. We'll know that we are successful in this when the people that we're talking to and influencing, they start doing the same thing as they respond to Jesus Christ. And this network can grow. As the Lord leads, as the Lord moves, not you move, but as the Lord moves in people's lives, they will be motivated to tell the people in their oikos what's going on. And so on and so on, generation after generation. And this, it's interesting, maybe it sounds too easy, or maybe does this really work, well, one thing to think about, I have one, I completed my diagram here showing with a dotted line with a circle that says the nth generation. So I did a little very quick research and I, 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 I read online that there's about anywhere, somewhere between 80 and 100 generations between where we're standing now and when Jesus Christ walked the earth. So this generational effect, it works. It's worked at least 80 to 100 times down throughout the years as people have shared the gospel with generation after generation after generation. And of course, this can happen multiple times in the same generation. But I'm just saying, it's worked at least 80 to 100 times. That is how our faith expands. Because saints, in year after year, in generation after generation, they have obeyed the command of Jesus Christ. He said, go, tell them baptize them, make, teach them to observe what I have done. They have obeyed that, and as a result, the news of Jesus' Messiahship, the news of God's kingdom, has spread down through the centuries across the continents, and, and resulting in us standing here right now. You can probably think, if you were to think back for a minute, it's like, who shared with me? Who was, influence, who was influential in sharing with me throughout the years? Who is the one that shared the good news to me 
And then I believed in Jesus Christ. You can probably, maybe, maybe there's someone you can think of in your, in your life. Maybe it was a friend or family member. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was a random stranger that handed you a tract out on the fairgrounds. But there's someone that shared the good news. This is how Jesus Christ has intended for our faith to propagate. It's for each person working in their oikos, and then it spreads to the entire oikos of the, of, of the, of the whole world. We each have a small piece. We're not responsible for the whole, thi- the whole thing. We're not even responsible for the results of the people that we talk to. We have responsibility to talk to the people that we can influence and that we can love. This tool, we have a tool on our website. There's an image here on the screen. It's a snapshot of our, of our website. Under the resources tab, down at the very bottom, there's a little, there's a little tab called Oikos Worksheet. Um, a couple of years ago, we had a visiting missionary, Mike Cater. He came and gave us a couple of worksheets. You can click on there. You can download these PDFs. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very helpful table. These are people in my life. And he had some very practical suggestions of what can you do for them. Everything from praying for them, praying for them to serving them, to encouraging them, to, as the Lord leads, actually sharing God's word with them and being very explicit about who Jesus is and what he, and the blessings and the, and the gospel opportunity he has for them. So I encourage you to check out our website, uh, download the Oikos worksheet if you don't have a tool of like that of your, of your, for yourself, and, and take some time to prayerfully start filling that in. The truth is, is that we are sent. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 to 15, how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those. Who are the those in this verse? It's us. It's me. It's you. Go and rest. Preach and pray. Suffer and bear fruit. These are all true at the same time. Going, resting, preaching, praying, suffering, bearing fruit. Like I said before, I have no easy answer for you as a specific person on how to balance that in your life, except to say they're both true, both sides are true at the same time. You need to learn what it means to respond to the oikos that God's put you in, to bless and love and serve and give and maybe even suffer for the sake of the people that you're around, and yet you still need to find, you still need to be fueled by His Spirit and by His truth and by His Word and rest in Him. So, setting aside for a moment my earlier cynicism about fishing, some of the good things about fishing are, as people mentioned before, it's a teaching and it's a training opportunity. There's a sense of fellowship and family that someone mentioned from, from being together. And there's often lasting fruit, or at least it lasts until we eat dinner that night. But there's lasting fruit in the excitement of the catch as the Lord blesses, as the Lord blesses. So one of the things that I want us to encourage us to do, and this starts with me, as a member and as a, as a pastor of Oak Ridge Community Church, is I want us to create a culture and operate in a culture of discipleship 
and multiplication. That means we have a correct understanding of discipleship. Resting, going, praying, preaching, suffering, bearing fruit. We accept our mission that we are the salt and light of the world. We have something to offer, not from ourselves, but we have the gospel of Jesus Christ to offer to the people around us. And last but not least, we are able to work together and take action. We work together as families, as groups of people, as a life group, as a church body. We work together to love and serve the people around us. So what, what will it look like if we're successful? If, if we're successful, there will be a balanced sense of sacrifice and stepping out of your comfort zone and a balanced sense of abiding at the same time. If we are successful, we will see fruit in our oikos. And fruit can be simply the success of a conversation where you bless and serve and refresh another person. Or it might be the fruit of someone responding in faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And success will look like is that this will start multiplying, not just in our own families, although we want it to start with our families. But this will be multiplied in the lives of the people around us because the Spirit of God is moving and He's changing. The Word of God is moving and it's changing the people that we're close to. Finally, there's joy in what we're doing as well. There's not a, in my, I remind myself, it's not, I, I'm not resting just to steal myself for an onerous task. But in Psalm 40, verse 10, it says, I've not kept the good news of your justice hidden in my heart. I've talked about your faithfulness and saving power. I've told everyone in the great assembly about your unfailing love and your faithfulness. There is a joy in the message that we have for people. We're not offering a burden. We're not offering a list of things to do. We're not offering things that you're, they're doing wrong and we're doing right. We're offering them a sense of joy and peace and forgiveness and restoration to the God of the universe through His Son, Jesus Christ. We are communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's amazing. It's amazingly powerful, and it's an amazingly good thing to give to people. We're sharing the good news of a loving God with an incredibly needy word, world. So I'd encourage you, let's rest, and then let's go together. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. I just thank you that you've instructed us. Jesus, you commanded us very clearly that we should go, and that we, as we go into the world that you've given us, as, you, as we go into the oikos that you've given us, we are to proclaim your name. And sometimes people will be happy to hear it, and sometimes people will not be so happy to hear it. But you want us to go. And yet at the same time, Jesus, you said, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. And you remind us that you do the work. Lord, help me, help us to find the right balance between going and obeying and abiding and resting so that when the fruit comes, it'll be clear that it's you that are moving and not me convincing someone to do something. And when people sense our presence and they sense our spirit and they hear our words and they receive our acts of love, they'll know we're doing it from a sincere heart because we love them, because we love the Lord and because you 
love them. Lord, we commit these things to you. Help us to grow in this. Help us to grow in this. Lord, make me into someone that embraces this culture of multiplication. Please raise up, infuse our church, our families, our life groups, and this church with a culture that desires to rest and to go. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Dave. Uh, we're going to do communion now, so just stay seated um, for a couple more moments. I was reading this morning uh, John 6, 47, and I thought it sounded very, it was very interesting that I was reading it this morning. Um, so let me just read it for you guys. Uh, this is Jesus talking here. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes out of heaven, so that anyone may eat from it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats from this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I will give my life for of the world also is my flesh. And then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as a living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, the one who eats me, and he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. So I just thought, I was like, man, that's, that's pretty, you know, you, I'm sure the people hearing that were blown away by what he was saying. Um, but that's what Jesus tells us to do when, when, we, when we take communion. Um, but before we get started real quick, uh, just in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul's, Paul's talking to Corinthians here, so, but I think there's a, you know, some of it's applicable for us today who tend to maybe rush into this, check the box of communion, and, and then we move on. Um, Paul says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a person must examine himself, and in so doing, he's to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For the one who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not properly recognize the body. So I just want to take us, let's just take a few moments right now and just pray silently and prepare our hearts for what we're about to do with eating the bread and drinking the cup. <clears throat> 